life change program in um, 2005. That's when I first became affiliated with, uh, with the good folks of um, Hope, and I've been uh, visiting you fairly regularly ever since then, it, and it has been an honor and a privilege for me and, um, and my wife Cordelia to um, share time with you. So um, here is um, looking forward to a continued relationship. Amen? Um, I bring you greetings from the Patterson Assembly of God where uh, the Reverend Dr. Bobby Moore is senior pastor. That's my home church. That's our home church. And, um, and once again, I say it's good to be here. I have a brief word because I know that you have a full day ahead of you, a full morning service, so I won't um, prolong the message any more than I have to. Um, the message comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 1, which, um, irrespective of, of what's in your program, that is not the passage. That is not the scripture. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Um, I thought I was wrong. I said, oh, Cordelia, I got the wrong passage here. She said, no, you don't. So, um, no, um, 11, Hebrews 11.1 1 states, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Heavenly Father, we um, gather together today to, um, to praise you, Father God, as you are so worthy to be praised. We ask that for the next few moments you uh, anoint this room, that you um, em enable and empower this humble one who stands here to deliver your word in a way that edifies your people and glorifies you. We submit ourselves humbly to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now, uh, one of the most important truths that is being revealed to me as I progress in my walk with the Lord is that the more I learn, the more I discover how little I know. There are certain principles, for example, that I once took for granted. Principles that I thought I understood and practiced well enough, but over, over time found that I was hardly practicing them at all, that I hardly knew them at all. But the reason for this is because I have been practicing these principles in accordance with my worldly understanding. That is, applying them according to the limitations of my flesh. I was attaching human limitations to spiritual gifts. And by doing this, I could not appreciate and employ these gifts to their full potential. Love is one of those gifts. Uh, love is a a weak and impotent emotion when, when applied according to our human abilities. But it is an overriding power when applied as a spiritual gift. Humility is another. Both these are gifts of divine significance which can only be utilized to their full effectiveness when we apply them as spiritual gifts and not worldly values. I'm also beginning to know the healing power of forgiveness, the abundant harvest reaped from the seed of patience, and the long-term benefits of self-control. And then there's this one other gift, this gift called 
faith. Now, I know what faith is, or that is, I believe I know what faith is, or at least I used to think I knew what faith is. But it's one of those mixed blessings to walking with the Lord that, as I said, the more you learn, the more you realize how little you know. So, what is faith? Um, the old school preachers in the South where I grew up um, have a, a, a very curious way of um, defining faith. You know, I grew up um, in South Carolina in one of those um, wooden one-room churches that were stifling hot in the summer, freezing cold in the winter, but full all year round. And um, the preachers had this way of, this, of defining what faith is. They would say, faith is when you know that you know that you know that you know. <laughs> now, when I was a boy, that didn't sound like much. It was just one of those trite country expressions that didn't really explain anything. But when the pastor said it, it brought the entire congregation to his feet in a chorus of amens and hallelujahs. Personally, I thought it was a silly expression. It didn't make sense. You either knew something or you didn't know something. You can't know one thing times four. And yet those guys seem to insist on it. Like repeating something three times made it more substantial. What is faith? Faith is when you know that you know that you know that you know. That silly saying never went out of style. Throughout my youth, there was not a Sunday service I didn't hear it repeated ad nauseum. And when my family migrated north, I found that saying had made its way to churches here as well. Faith is when you know that you know that you know that you know. But what I didn't understand those many years ago, what began to become clear to me only in these recent years is the wisdom of those old school preachers expressing that repeat repetitive phrase. I learned that so-called silly saying is anything but silly. In fact, I learned that it is the first and most steady step towards mature and effective Christianity. Those old guys were telling the children of God about the kind of faith the Lord requires of us. Faith born of the spirit and not of the world. With that repeated phrase, they were telling us to reach for and hold on to the one thing that brings us to a more satisfying worship of God, a more productive service to God, and a straighter and steadier walk with God, and that is pure, unadulterated faith. For example, on a storm-tossed sea in Matthew 14 and 31, Jesus pulls a sinking Peter out of a stormy sea and refers to the disciples' faith as little. Ye of little faith, why did you doubt? But by comparison, there are many of us, many among us whose faith couldn't even measure up to that much, couldn't measure up to little. Many of us whose lesser understanding of faith has made for a lesser state or condition of faith. In the eighth chapter of the book of Matthew, a centurion asked Jesus to heal his sick, bedridden servant. Declining Jesus' offer to accompany, home, to accompany him home to perform the healing. All I need is your word, Lord, the centurion said, and I know it's done. 
Jesus is profoundly moved by the man's faith. He exclaims that he hasn't seen his like in all Israel. And mind you, he's commending a Roman soldier, one of the enemy, not one of his own. In Luke 8, we find uh, the woman who for 12 years has suffered with what the Bible describes as an issue of blood. She needs Jesus to heal her affliction. But in order to get to him, she has to push her way through a crowd so dense the Bible refers to it as a multitude. So that's what she does. Ignoring the Jewish custom that forbids a woman in her condition from coming in such close contact with others. She won't be discouraged. She won't be stopped. She knows what she needs and she knows where to get it. Her, her determination, her confidence, her faith is so great that she doesn't even need to get the Lord's attention or for that matter, she doesn't need his permission. She just sort of sneaks up behind him and helps herself to his virtue. As with the centurion, Jesus is greatly impressed with the woman's faith. As a matter of fact, he doesn't even credit himself with healing her. He tells her that her faith has healed her. In these separate cases, we see demonstrations of faith that gain the desired results for the individual and that please Jesus. In Hebrews 11 and 6, we are reminded that faith is essential to pleasing God, that in fact, it's impossible to please him without it. In Matthew 17, a man brings his demon-possessed son to the disciples, begging them to rid the boy of this unclean spirit. When the disciples are unable to successfully perform the exorcism, Jesus tells them that their failure is due to their lack of faith. He tells them that if their faith was no larger than a mustard seed, they could accomplish any feat, even to having a mountain obey their command to get out of their way. So, what is faith? What is this mountain-moving spiritual attitude Jesus applauded a sick woman and a Roman soldier for having and rebuked his closest friends for lacking? If asked, how would you define your faith? Is it your belief, your firm belief in the person, the presence, and the power of God as creator and master of all that exists? Is it your strong belief that his word his works and his way are true, that Jesus is his son and your Lord and Savior? Is your measure of faith your sincere belief that his death on the cross paid the price for your sins and his resurrection on the third day paved your way to eternal glory? Is your faith your heartfelt belief that through Jesus' shed blood you have been justified to stand before Almighty God, reborn, renewed, and redeemed? Not long ago, my answer to each of those questions would have been a resounding yes. I believe, I believe, I believe. I would have spoken it confidently, feeling glad about it, feeling right about it. And why not? At the start of every soul's relationship with God, he or she is told that the most important gift that they can to, that the most important gift that they can bring to the table of holy fellowship is their willingness to believe all through the Bible and most especially all through the New Testament we are encouraged and commanded to believe his message of forgiveness and salvation John 3 16 promises 
the gift of eternal life, and the only thing we have to do to get it is believe. But many believe birds practice a lesser kind of believing than that is required of us by God. Their believing is a state of mind subject to outside influences, dependent upon prevailing circumstances. In other words, their believing is conditional and is therefore a weak and insufficient faith. Some of you here have probably known someone who to all intents and purposes were very strong in their belief, and then one day they just walked away from God after suffering a personal tragedy or when a prayer of theirs went unanswered, apparently denied. They believed fiercely until believing failed them. And there are those who will believe in something until something else comes along, something apparently more powerful or, benef or more beneficial. Peter believed in Jesus' power to suspend him above the waters of the sea. Then he saw the storm and believed in the storm's power to kill him, and he began to sink. His faith was literally gone with the wind. Believing of this type is what I refer to as believing or as faith in the abstract. It's a shallow and fleeting kind of faith that in practice will enable the followers of Christ to accomplish nothing of lasting value in his name because it will always rely on favorable circumstances to sustain it. And most of us know that the most important work for the kingdom is usually performed under the most unfavorable circumstances. In Mark 11 and 23, Jesus tells his disciples that there is nothing that they can accomplish if they will believe in their hearts and not doubt. Faith in the abstract will always, and I mean always, leave room in the heart for doubt. That centurion I mentioned earlier didn't doubt. Despite the fact that he was not one of the boys, not a member of the club, he believed and did not doubt in his heart. He didn't even need Jesus to make a personal appearance at his home because he believed not only in Jesus' power, he believed in his word. He trusted, no, he didn't trust, he knew that Jesus would grant his request without a sliver of doubt in his heart. The woman with the issue did not doubt. She pushed her way through that mob of men knowing not just believing, but knowing that all she needed to do was touch Jesus. Just touch the hem of his garment and she would be healed. She knew it. Knew it beyond the shadow of any human doubt. Their belief, the centurions and the woman's, are examples of what I refer to as faith in the concrete. Now the last time I spoke here, I referred to the passage in Luke 17 where Jesus responds to a question from the Pharisees about when the kingdom of God would come. He explains to the religious leaders that the kingdom will be, a, will be spiritual in nature and not appear as a social uprising to satisfy their expectations or a physical construct to satisfy their senses. Then he sees the looks on the, faithful, on the faces of his disciples present looks betraying the doubts in their eyes or the doubt in their hearts. And Jesus admonishes his friends against discounting the power of the Spirit by saying simply, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. 
a succinct rebuke of his disciples' dependency on a limited physical world, turning them toward the unlimited might of the Spirit, commanding all who would follow him to abandon that old mindset, to stop believing in what they knew, and to start knowing what they believed. Because when it comes to, to the things of God, the difference between faith in the abstract and faith in the concrete is the difference between believing and knowing. Now, by biblical standards, there is no difference between the two. They are one and the same. When the Lord calls us to believe, he is commanding us to an absolute certainty in our faith. To believe and not doubt in our hearts. In, in other words, in the Bible, when they, call, when they tell us to believe, they're telling us to know. But the world teaches us that believing and knowing are not the same. They have different meanings. The world teaches us that we believe in the absence of knowing. I've heard it said among the brethren, I don't know, but I believe. Sadly, they consider that an acceptable representation of the faith, and it's not. It is a sorry testimony and an ineffectual tool of evangelism is full of doubt. Doubt is the enemy of faith, folks. Doubt cancels out faith. Doubt destroys faith. The father of the demon-possessed boy I spoke of earlier confesses to the doubt in his heart in Mark 9 and 24 when he says, Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. And then there are those who believe in anticipation of knowing. Believing is what they do, what, what they do while awaiting the proof they need to elevate them to that level of certainty. They will believe in God and in the things of God and in the kingdom of God while they wait for the evidence they need to confirm their faith and justify their belief. They even believe that the things of God are made real by their belief. Or in other words, all the divine elements of their faith, including God himself, are made real if they would just believe strongly enough. That is not what faith is, and that is not how faith works. God is all-knowing and all-powerful all by himself. He is neither created by our believing, nor is his kingdom dependent on the strength of our faith to make it real. Our faith does not create the things of God. Our faith puts us in the things of God. Our believing does not validate the Lord for us. It validates us for him. It gives us the eyes to see him, the ears to hear him, and the blessing of fellowship with him. That is faith in the concrete. But acquiring it means we must, as the apostle states in Philippians 3 and 13, forget what is behind us and reach for what's before to put it in other words, we must stop believing in the worldly things we know and start believing the godly, start knowing the godly things we believe. Unlike the things of the world, the things of God require us to know that they're real before we see it or experience them. To trust them as truth before they even come to pass. Some find this a challenge. Others consider it a struggle and sadly, there are those who think it's impossible. They simply can't renounce their worldly values without evidence and the substance to validate their believing to justify their, belief, to justify their faith. But according to Hebrews 11 and 1, faith 
is the substance of things hoped for, that it is the evidence of things not seen. You hear that, folks? Faith is substance. It doesn't wait on substance. It is substance. It is evidence. Faith is the conviction that makes our walk with God invigorating, our talks with him satisfying. It's what makes us effective as evangelists and mighty as ministers. Faith in the concrete is the courage to meet any challenge and face any foe, the way out of momentary defeat to lasting victory. In that faith, that concrete faith, we will find a blessed assurance in the most turbulent times, a serenity that will sustain us when the whole world is collapsing around us. It will make us smile when others see absolutely nothing to smile about and bring us from the depths of our most heartbreaking sorrow and settle us in a place of profound, unspeakable joy. Faith in the concrete will give us rest. It will let us sleep in righteous peace. It will replenish us, renew and restore us. It will bring celebration to our mornings and calm to our evenings. And all with our knowing, not just believing, folks, but knowing that God was, is, and forever will be in control. Faith in the concrete will stand us up in unshakable certainty before the naysayers and the unbelievers. It will make us immune to their mockery, make us invincible against their ridicule. When they shake their heads and ask, do you really believe all that God and Bible stuff? We'll simply nod our heads and say, no, I don't believe it. I know it. To know. That is the conviction Jesus commanded from his disciples. That is the conviction that he commands from us. When he told the Pharisees that the kingdom of God is not something that they can see with their eyes, he was speaking of a kingdom that can only be seen through the eyes of the truly faithful, the eyes of those who not only believe but know with not a sliver of doubt in their minds that his kingdom is real and is at hand. It is by our faith, folks, our concrete faith, that we are blessed with the courage, the wisdom, the strength to forget what is behind us, the apostle, the apostle declares, and reach for what's before. The blood of the Lamb has freed us from the shackles of the past. We look forward to the return of our King, not because we believe he's coming, but because we know he's coming. That is the definition of our faith the measure of faith God requires. And when the doubters and the naysayers demand to know how we can feel so unreasonably certain, when they demand to know how we can be so confident in our walk and so definite when we talk, when they inquire how we can be at such perfect peace in a world gone haywire, we'll simply respond in the manner of those old preachers from that church of mine in the South and say, I know that I know that I know that I know. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do reach for a more substantial and more significant faith in you. We ask, Father that, Father, that you empower us not to just believe in your word, but to know your word. Not to just believe in your reality, but to know that you are real. Father God, we beseech you, Father God, to enter into our hearts, Father God. Cast away anything about us that is doubtful or cynical or hesitant, Father God. Give us the strength, the wisdom, and the courage to leap forward knowing that you will always catch us. 
And we submit ourselves to you humbly and thankfully in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.